The following audio brought to you by TSF Entertainment Podcast may contain graphic descriptions of violence and or audio clips of violence or sexual explicit events. Listener's discretion is advised. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to our channel. How are you doing tonight? I'm joined tonight by my host, my co-host. Um, oh, wait, co-host, not the host. Oh, I'm hosting today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm hosting today. Uh, my co-host, Miss B TV. How are you doing tonight? Hello, how are you? How was your week? It went too fast. Oh my gosh, it was spring break. Why did when you don't have to go to work? Why does it go by so fast? Isn't it? Well, you gotta get up and go to work every day. It seems like it, it takes it's forever. That's so true. We love those um time away from work and right. you know, just to have some staycation time and okay. me time and do some things around the house that neglect that get neglected because of work. Yeah, all the stuff I said I was going to do this week, I ain't do none of it. Remember, I, I told you on Sunday, remember I had all these plans mm-hmm. of all this stuff I was going to do this week? I ain't do none of them. I didn't do nothing. Nothing. <laughs> I didn't do any of it. Oh, damn. No. It is what it is. It'll get done. It just didn't get done this week. Well, tonight we are here. We're back doing our True Crime Fridays. I know it's been a while since we've done one. Uh, and I've been talking about this case to you for quite a while now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very important to me. This is actually um, one that hits home, literally. Um, being from Columbia, South Carolina and raised there, um, it's very important to me to put some spotlight on this particular case. And having a work site location in Arizona and having been there here recently, it's equally important to me after I started diving into the case. So tonight we're going to talk about the mysterious disappearance of Daniel Robinson. So Daniel Robinson went missing less than a year ago. He was last seen on the morning of June 23rd, 2021. He was leaving his work site in Buckeye, Arizona. He worked as a hydrogeologist, which caused him to do a lot of remote, to go into a lot of remote locations. Um, so he was, he spent a lot of time in the Arizona desert. He was last seen driving his 2017 blue gray Jeep Renegade. And he's believed to have headed West deeper into the desert terrain. So it's not odd that he was in the desert. I mean, that's pretty much where his work site is on a daily basis. Daniel was from Columbia, South Carolina, where he was born and raised. And he had moved recently to the Phoenix area after graduating as a field geologist in 2019 from the College of Charleston. He graduated with honors. <sighs> Daniel has a unique characteristic about him, so it's important for everyone to know that he was born with one hand. Mm-hmm. So it's it's something that is clearly identifiable if anyone has saw him, made contact with him. 
Um, you know, that's a very identifiable character, identifiable characteristic about him. He only has one hand. And even though he was born with one hand, it didn't stop him from having a full life. Yeah. You know, he's one of those persons that I really tip my hat to because, you know, you know, a lot of times we um, take for granted how things are, how blessed we are, you know, mm -hmm. to have our mobility and to have all of our limbs and, you know, not have any, you know, um, disabilities that we have to live through life with. So people like him that don't allow those uh, disabilities to cripple their life and they go on to live a full life and do normal things like everyone else would, I really have uh, a lot of compassion and respect and admiration for people who choose not to let their disability just hinder them from being able to do things in life. So he allowed himself to play sports. Uh, do instruments, play video games. He was an honor student. So all these things were very important to him to not just be able to just lay down and just suffer with the fact that I only have one hand. He was the youngest of other siblings. I think he had four other siblings. Um, two of them were twin sisters. Uh, he came from a very close-knit family and um, listening to his father talk uh, it seemed like they had he had a very good upbringing. Um, you know, the whole family was into science. I think the uh, father served in the military for a while. Uh, yeah. He got medically he discharged. Um, he has a computer engineering degree. Uh, so, you know, the family was a typical uh, family that, you know, they were trying to do their thing. Um, the father spoke to that, you know, he wasn't concerned about his son moving to Arizona. Um, actually, he was pretty happy about the fact that his son was, you know, branching out on his own and, you know, trying to find work in his field. You know, a lot of times we go to college and we spend all this money on tuition <laughs> and student loans. And rarely do we get the opportunity to work in the field in which we graduate from. Um, so it was very nice to see that he explored employment opportunities in the field that he went to school for. And you would have to think, living in Columbia, South Carolina, knowing Robert Rowe very well, <laughs> graduating from Columbia High School, <laughs> went to Midlands Tech, West Columbia for a little while. I know that there's not many opportunities for uh, a geologist in Columbia. <laughs> so um, he moved to Phoenix. And uh, when he first got there, he ended up um, um, living with a roommate, you know, staying with a roommate. Uh, his parents were a little bit concerned about the fact that he didn't have a place of his own. You know, they were concerned about, well, where are you going to live? Uh, he ended up living with his co-worker, Roger. So let's put a little pin in that. Roger, the roommate, the, the former roommate, because for a little while he lived with uh, Roger. They lived in Phoenix. And eventually Daniel Gwynn got his own place in Tempe. I know Tempe very well. Um, so his co-worker, Roger, worked inside of the office and um, Daniel worked in the field. So rarely did they actually cross paths often at work because Daniel spent most of his time in the field. Roger spent most of his time in the office. So that's a little bit of backstory on um, Daniel's background. Um, anything you want to add to that, really? No, I mean, you pretty much hit it. Yeah, no. All right. So 
A federal law enforcement officer relayed to Daniel's father that he had seen Daniel the morning he went missing. He was cleaning up his Jeep and he stated that Daniel seemed clear headed and spoke briefly about target practice. That law enforcement official confirmed that there was no damage to the Jeep at that time. Daniel has a passion for adventure and he's known to travel in inopportune moments. I'm I can relate to that because as a person who's single, who doesn't have any attachments, I oftentimes get up and go and don't tell anyone where I'm going other than the friends that I'm coming to see or whoever I'm going to visit with where I'm traveling. Oftentimes are the only ones that know when I travel. You guys get on me a lot of times about that, <laughs> but I wasn't going to say anything from a person who's extremely independent. It's, it's not unusual for me to hear that someone just picks up and goes and, you know, they're living their life. Um, however, he always communicated with his family on his travel plans. The day Daniel was on the job, when he went missing, it was said that Daniel was last seen by his co-worker, Roger, um, who worked uh, with him. And they had a they had a good friendship. They had a very good relationship. So they didn't part on bad terms. You know, it's just that Daniel got to the point where he had enough money saved up and had enough opportunity saved up to uh, get his own place. Now, it's also important to note that Daniel had a side job, a secondary job, if you want to call it that, um, and he drove for Instacart. Now, the father has revealed to us the reasons why he was driving for Instacart. Uh, his primary source of income, his job with uh, doing the geologist, he had to cover his travel costs up front. And then he would be reimbursed those expenses on his paycheck. So it's kind of expensive in Arizona, not as expensive as California, but pretty expensive. So in order for him not to get, you know, backed up on bills and, you know, living from check to check, he chose to drive for Instacart as another source of income. So this whole Instacart part-time job thing is going to come into play uh, later on in our discussion. So on Tuesday, July the 19th, 2021, Daniel's vehicle was found by a rancher a little over two and a half miles from the work site in a remote part of the desert. On the day the rancher reported the vehicle to the Buckeye Police Department, who later did a search by ground and drone, the vehicle where the vehicle was recovered, Daniel was not found. The Jeep rolled over inside in a ravine on the property owned by that rancher. The airbags had deployed, and there's evidence that the vehicle indicating that the driver was wearing the seatbelt at the time of the crash. You know, they can extract a lot of that um, information from the black box. Several personal items of Daniel was found in the vehicle, such as his cell phone, his wallet, and his keys, and his clothing were scattered about around the vehicle. One red boot that was a size 11 and a half was wedged under the driver's seat of the Jeep. Now, they didn't say anything about whether or not a second boot was recovered or if a, a second boot was on the outside of the vehicle with the rest of his clothes. Investigators believe that something triggered Daniel to drive into the desert, crash his own Jeep, and then strip off all his clothing and wander <laughs> into the desert. <laughs> oh, <laughs> my God. I start to have an issue with. Oh, my gosh. So, can I, I don't want to move too far ahead, but one thing... Um, when he first came, when he was first, his family first discovered he was missing. The one thing that they did ask was there be a aerial search done. 
Um, and of course, if there had been one, the, the, the Jeep may or may not have been discovered sooner. Also, there is no 20-year-old right now that's going anywhere without their phone. Not voluntarily. Like this is not happening. Nobody. Adult, 20-year-old, definitely a youngster. But right. nobody in this in, in this day and time will go far without their cell phone. Yeah, not voluntarily, they're not. Mm -mm. I mean, we're so attached to uh, just instant communication with people. Uh, we rely on our phones for a lot. And the fact that he drove for Instacart, I'm quite sure he had to keep his phone um, nearby oftentimes. Um, and the fact that you're in the desert, not only am I going to have my phone on me all the time, but it's going to be fully charged. So I agree with that. Yeah, so it already sounds like... To me, it already sounds real hanky, but go ahead. Well, here's where the hankiness starts. So once the family has uh, been notified that uh, Daniel had went missing, the father instantly, you know, gathered up his things and, and drove 2,000 miles from Columbia, South Carolina to Phoenix, Arizona. This, this well, couldn't have been easy for him. Right. And, you know, from the very beginning, did... The, the family was dissatisfied with the response from the police yeah. from the very beginning. Like it just, it, there seemed to be no sense of urgency. There was no, like I said, the family asked for there to be an aerial search. They were denied um, certain things that the family was asking, like they, they weren't doing, they weren't, you know, um, seemed like they were being cooperative. And that's, you know, other than the fact that that's his child, but part of the reason why the father was like, I need to get out there because they're not doing what I need them to do for my child. And somewhere along the way, an aunt, a hey, relative. What's up, Retro? Hey, what's up, DJ? Um, somewhere along the way, uh, a relative, I, I believe they said it was an aunt um, that lived out of state, had also been calling down to the uh, Buckeye Police Department and pretty much trying to, you know, put some fire under their feet to get them moving to try to get this aerial search done. They were told at that time that they were going to perform an aerial search. My thing is, if the vehicle was found two and a half miles away from his work site, it should have been instantly found in the aerial search. And I just feel like, you know, again, and I, you know, clearly I don't know everything by you know any stretch of the imagination, but it seems to me that when there's something as an extreme area like a desert where the nights are extremely cold, the days are extremely hot, there's not a lot of resources, there, it's not like somebody that went missing on the side of a highway where if they walk to the next exit, maybe, maybe not, like where there's a lot of, you know, a desert is so vast and there's so many different places that even if, even if everything they're saying is what happened, that he seemed out of it, lethargic, whatever, whatever, to me, that's all the more reason for y'all to, put the most extreme measures in place to look for him. It doesn't make sense to me that the attitude is, uh. He's an adult and people have the right to go missing. But if a family is telling you that my child doesn't go six hours without making contact with a member of the family, he had a sister that lived there in Arizona. Uh, in fact, they had a, uh, a, uh, a protocol that they had put in place where that if either one of them got into any type of intimate danger or needed a um you know immediate response they had a code word um and 
prior in the weeks prior to his disappearance, Daniel had uh, sent out that emergency distress to his sister in which his sister responded to it. And, you know, of course, she notified the family that, you know, something was going on with Daniel. And uh, they later on found that he had went to the Waffle House. And, you know, when they questioned him about why did you send the uh, emergency, you know, distress, you know, he was like, oh, I'm just being Daniel. I want to see how fast you guys were going to respond to me going missing. So it seems like a, a bit of him had a, a bit of a, a personality about him that, you know, he kind of like, you know, teased and taunt, you know, his siblings and things like that. This Waffle House thing is very important because when the sister went to the apartment, his car was there, but he wasn't. So somehow, somewhere he Ubered, took a bus. And in Phoenix, especially in the Tempe area, there's buses that run from 6 a.m. to 11 p.m. Every day, every night, on the hour, they're all over the place. I mean, you can't get around. It's also uh, an area that they have a lot of traffic cams. I mean, there's just about every intersection you go to, there is a lot of traffic cams. I've seen it, experienced it myself. Um, it's also important to know in this area, in Tempe, <clears throat> there is a lot I mean, a lot of homeless people. It's a, a, a very highly populated area of homeless people. I mean, they're everywhere. They're hanging out in hotel lobbies. They're, oh, well, the hotel parking lots. Um, they're hanging out in front of the malls. They're at the bus stops. You see a lot of people in Arizona that are out on foot, you know, walking around, riding bikes, little scooters, things like that. Uh ASU is um, in Tempe, so there's a lot of it's, it's a college town as well. So there's a lot of activities uh, that are always constantly going on. Um, the bars, the nightlife, it's always something going on. Um, even the two, well, the two times that I've been there within the two weeks I, I was there each visit, I saw a lot of this myself. So um, the father had requested from the Buckeye police or the Phoenix or Tempe police department, the surveillance footage from the Waffle House to see if he could pick up any clues or anything that was different in his mannerisms. If there was anything different in the way he was dressed or the way he was behaving. And it's curious because the footage that they provided him wasn't video surveillance footage. It was still shots from the camera. And, you know, the timestamps were very intermittent from the time he was there because apparently he had been there for a while and they were trying to figure out why was he at that Waffle House for such a long period of time. Uh, they didn't say how long he was there. If I had to take a guess, maybe an hour, maybe over an hour or whatever the case may be. But the still shots they sent over were there, there were gaps in between the still shots that they sent over this timestamp. You know, the next photo is a timestamp. Yeah you know, 25 minutes later or 30 minutes later. So, and and then they were also sent over still shots of Aries in the restaurant that didn't include Daniel in it. Right. And the father asked for the video and he they refused to give it to him. Why? I don't Why? know, but that's what the father, right. The father was like, they refused that they would only give him those still shots. And it's like, why? Why, would, why wouldn't you give the father the ability to see what's going on with his son. Like, that doesn't make sense. And so the father seems to suspect whether or not someone else was there with him. The father didn't really give any... Uh, 
he didn't really shed any further detail on why he thought that. And I think he's probably keeping certain things close to the chest. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was something within those steel shots that made him feel as though someone else was there with his son that day at the Waffle House. And it's imp- I, I want to say this too. It's important and and um, it's important to let people know that the father has hired his own private investigator and he's doing his own investigation and he's actually found way more information than the police have ever. Well, they should have been found. Right, what they should have been doing, right. Mm-hmm. His private investigator actually has found a lot of information that, like you said, should have been uncovered. Yeah. And my heart really goes out to Mr. David Robinson. I commend him on being just an excellent father and, mm-hmm. you know, going to the ends of the earth, literally, to find out what happened to his child. And this man has been in Arizona for over nine months. You know, he's financing this out of pocket. You know, of course, there's a GoFundMe. We uh, dropped a link in our description of this show. So you can go out there and sign a petition, um, look at the Facebook page, the GoFundMe account, and let's try to help get this family the support that they need to try to find out what happened to their loved one because they're not getting the support that they should be getting from national media coverage. You know, a lot of news outlets are covering this after the fact. I think it's because of the father's uh, uh, petition and the father's efforts that's getting the coverage that's being put on this case but it almost feels like it is just it's going cold and the, the details of the case i mean I, I, you know i have some things so let's move forward a little bit well I, before you can i just add a little piece of that part of everything you just said is is accurate but part of the reason why also because this case really wasn't getting any attention until the gabby uh petito case oh yes yeah, of course. until the Gabby Petito case. And then that then people were like, well, wait a minute. What about this other black man that is missing in the, the, the you know, the, the um, desert in Arizona? And why are we why is he not getting the same coverage? And why haven't we heard the story? And so it, people started talking about it and news, you know, um, shows started picking up the story. But up until that point, it really was a very. It was a small blip. Like nobody knew about it. The father was sort of fighting an up uphill battle. And luckily, you know, um, I know he was on Dr. Oz and he's been on some podcasts and he's starting to get the word out there. But it really was unfortunately because of the, the Gabby case is what sort of sparked people to say, well, wait a minute. So one of our other hosts uh, just dropped the link in the chat. Thank you. The, uh, Thank you, um, DJ. Appreciate that, brother. Um, but yeah, that's the part that just gets me so frustrated. And this is why we choose uh, some of the cases that we choose. Well, actually all of the cases that we choose is for that very reason, because oftentimes, well, all the time, persons of color, their cases go unheard. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's people like us that spread the word around and, you know, get people, you know, it, it, it was, it was a very surreal moment for me because I had been following this case even prior to my trips to Arizona. And when I got to Arizona, it's like, you know, everywhere I went, you know, I was looking, you know, not sure what I was looking for. But like I said, the one the one thing I knew to keep an eye out for, if I saw anyone that was disfigured, that was missing one hand. OK, you know, everywhere I went and um, there was an area that I traveled to for work 
in Casa Grande that was very remote, um, you know, very desolate, out in the middle of nowhere. Um, I even went to a location in Coolidge, Arizona, and it was extremely remote. And it just every every time I went to one of these worksite locations, it 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 put this case on my mind. So I'm looking. You know, even when I went out, there was a spot that I went to. It was an outlet I went to. And um, of course it, it was. Of course it was. And there was an area that, you know, it had a casino and it had an outlet, but that was it. You know, it was still being developed, you know. So on the outskirts of the outlet in the casino, it was a very remote, desolate area. So I say all that to say in Arizona, there are a lot of areas that are very desolate, very isolated and a person can easily just go. But what you also see here in Arizona is a lot of nature. It's a lot of mountains. It's a lot of people that are out hiking. There's a lot of people out, you know, just watching. It's a beautiful place. Sunset, very beautiful. Sunrise, very beautiful. So for a person who's a naturist, a person who enjoys being out in, you know, uh, those type of environments, has so many different places where they can just duck off and enjoy that. Um, so for me, when I was out there, you know, I kept my eyes out and, you know, I was looking and I was talking to coworkers and people that I were meeting about this case, you know, and just say, Hey, you know, have you heard about it? Cause even being in Arizona, you know, there were people that I were talking to in Tempe that didn't even know about this case. And I'm right. like, what, what are you, are you serious? Like here is all over YouTube. Go. You know, which I really wish we could have gotten the episode out then because that was very discouraging for me to even talk to people, other people of color, and didn't even know about this case, didn't even know Daniel existed. So, you know, I want to drive all the way back home, literally back to my fam, friends uh, in Columbia, South Carolina, all the way to my coworkers and friends in Phoenix, Arizona. Like, let's put the word out. Let's help try to see if we can find out what happened to Daniel. In October 2021, the authorities announced that Robinson had been texting a woman while he had been delivering for Instacart and reportedly was invited inside and exchanged numbers with her. There's way more than that. We're going to talk about that. Later, text messages showed that he visited her home several times unannounced. We're definitely going to talk about that. And the woman indicated that she was extremely uncomfortable with his actions. Police initially interviewed friends, family, and co-workers about Robinson being suicidal over this relationship. But the family told the investigators he was not. Do you want to go first or do you want me to? <laughs> uh, um, I just think Okay, so let's I, let's just start with the whole Instacart thing. Yes, he did meet two young ladies while delivering for Instacart. In Arizona and some other places, you can Instacart alcohol. You can Instacart, you know, liquor stores, Walgreens, grocery right. stores. These young ladies had purchased two bottles of wine. And somehow the wine order, because, you know, I don't know if you guys are familiar with how Instacart works. You know, you go on to the particular store and they'll have well-known brands of products listed. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they have that item in stock at the store. 
So when your shopper gets there and starts shopping for you, oftentimes they will text you through the app right. and say whether or not they have this particular item that you want. Do you want a substitute for it? So somehow, some way, the order got screwed up and he brought the wrong wine. He fixed the order, went back, got the girls the wine. Yes, he was invited inside. But what's also not being reported by authorities that we learned from his father is he actually spent the night as well. Right. He spent the night at their house. Yeah. And it 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 obviously soon became I'm not gonna say a relationship. I'm not gonna put a relationship on it, but it was a friendship that was developing. Now, right. I don't know what it was developing into. You know, they were good friends, they were hangout buddies or whatever. Maybe it was friends with benefits. Friends with benefits. We don't know that. But we also know that Daniel had never been in a relationship with a female before. And that, you know, he did have some level of infatuation towards the girl. Right. Obviously, she felt some some type of admiration for him to allow him to spend the night. So, during the period of time that he spent the night at the house with the young lady, it's not reported whether or not they had intercourse. It's not reported whether or not they, you know, were engaged in any type of physical relationship or whatever, but they hung out. Somehow, some way, the canopy that he uses for his job. So let's talk about why he needed this canopy and what he used it for for work. This He's out here in the desert. Like you said earlier, it gets hot as hell mm -hmm. in the desert during the daytime. So he would extract this canopy to shade himself while he was out there in the desert. So I don't know if this, I don't know how large the canopy was. It wasn't described in measurement. So I don't know if it's big, small, the type that you can put in the back of your car, your trunk, or your back seat or whatever. So I don't know how he traveled with this canopy. I don't know if it was strapped to the top of the Jeep, if it was hanging out of the Jeep, if it was large or too large to fit inside of the Jeep. Somehow, someway, it ended up in the young lady's backyard. Right. And he left it there. So over the next course of a few days, maybe a week or so goes by, they're texting back and forth or whatever the case may be. The young lady's out of town. Daniel was asking when can he come by to pick back up his canopy. And she was like, oh, I'll make arrangements with you, whatever, whatever. Some more time goes by. Hey, I'm out here in the desert area. I need my canopy. I need my stuff for work. You know, so he decides to go back to the young lady's house and retrieve it. Apparently, her backyard was accessible where he didn't have to go through the house to gain access to the backyard. He just kind of scooted in the backyard, grabbed his canopy, and went on about his business. Well, the young lady has cameras at her house and saw that he had went in the backyard and got the canopy. And she sends him this text that says, you're making me uncomfortable popping by my house unannounced. Yeah, I did come by unannounced, but you also knew why I was coming. And you also knew that I had been trying to contact you for why I needed to come. Right. So it wasn't like he just popped up on her and say, you know, hey, let's go on a date. You know, right. he was coming by to get his canopy. Right. He didn't knock on the door. He wasn't like trying to blow you up. Like, I mean, blow you up, like blow up your phone, blow you up. You know what I'm saying? So where I'm starting to punch on some things is that one, when the father and the family retrieved Daniel's cell phone along with his personal effects from the Buckeye Police Department, why is the phone wiped clean? 
Yeah. The phone is wiped clean, but the contact information in the phone remain, which the contact um, information for the young lady um, was still in the phone, but all of the text messages had been scrubbed. So as a result, the father is now having to get a forensic specialist to review and try to retrieve the messages that had been deleted off of the phone. So the police can't share a transcript with the family on what those conversations were about between the young lady and Daniel. But guess what? She can. And she provides the Buckeye Police Department with her version of the text messages that didn't include any responses from Daniel. So this tells me that you have you have perpetuated a story that you want to be told about your interaction with this guy, but you're not showing the other half of the conversation. That seems suspicious to me. And it also seems like you that means you have something to hide because do you know how much, I mean, I know you know this, but you know how much effort it takes to redact text messages and edit and take stuff like it would be a lot easier to just take screenshots and say here this is this is our conversation but when you're editing and you're cropping out like that's you put in some work so that tells me that there's something in his responses that you don't want people to see Mm -hmm. and so i also have an issue with the fact why her phone wasn't taken into evidence they allowed her, they sent her a link, which sounds much like probably a Google Drive is what it was. And they allowed her to upload the messages. Mm-hmm. Not that the police went and uh, extracted these messages from her phone. They allowed her, they sent her a link to upload their messages. Wow. And, and they own, they're one-sided messages. What investigator wouldn't have questions for this? What investigator wouldn't upgrade you instantly to a person of interest with this type of response. That's crazy. To an ongoing right. esti- investigation. That's crazy. That's crazy. I, I feel like this 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 young lady, uh I feel like this young lady is could possibly be involved. Could possibly be involved. Or there's more to her involvement with Daniel than it's, she wants the public to know. It's definitely more to it. So Daniel goes on and he's speaking with his roommate about this young lady. And there's this big exchange with the, obviously they had a back and forth type of texting and relationship. They spoke because she made a comment about him being arrogant. The father says that Daniel was very uh, a confident individual. He was very uh, uh, sure of himself. A lot of times his demeanor came off as being arrogant because he was a very confident person. He was very intelligent, and oftentimes people didn't know how to receive him. Anyway, there had to be been a discussion between him and her about life and where, where you want to be at in life and how what leads to happiness in life. Obviously, there was some exchange of conversation in regards to the topic of you know spirituality and life and things like that that led to her sending him this podcast that he had listened to. And he later on went back and talked to his friend Roger about the podcast and things like that. The police want to paint a narrative that, you know, uh, Daniel was just this arrogant guy and that, you know, he was trying to push himself up on this girl and he made her feel uncomfortable. And that really wasn't the case. 
the case was that uh, it was a mutual uh, relationship type thing where they were going back and forth with each other. Right. So when they found the Jeep, the police department in Arizona said that the Jeep had accelerated right before the crash. This could indicate an attempt to drive up the other side of the ravine. The police uh, citing a collision report from the San Recon a Collision Reconstruction um, Company. So let's talk about that. So when they pull the black box from the uh, car and they get the data out of the black box from the vehicle's computer, there's a lot of oddities that are discovered. One, after the vehicle had crashed, it the ignition was turned on a total of 41 different times. Wow. So this could indicate a person in distress tried to get the car uh, activated, uh, turned back on, uh, whatever. But considering the fact that uh, the car was turned over on its side, turning the vehicle's ignition back on wouldn't have aided you in turning the vehicle back over. If anything, I would get out the vehicle and try to push it back over, but you know that's neither here nor there. They also indicate in the system's computer that the vehicle accelerated right before the car crashed. So now they're trying to paint the narrative that it was a suicide, that he just uh, got to this ravine, sped up, and just drove off the, the side of the vehicle, in the mm. vehicle. The seatbelt was attached. The crazy part about it is, if this would have happened the way the authorities are describing it, don't you think there would have been some personal injury to Daniel? Right. Like, would he have walked away from it? Because there's no exactly. body. So that means that he, so would he, how would he have walked away from this? Especially if the vehicle flipped and turned and, you know, ended up on his side. At the very least, you would have obtained some type of blood evidence in the vehicle where he have, could have been cut, injured, broken glass, you know. I, I just I don't see someone accelerating a vehicle, and I, I can't remember exactly uh, what they said it accelerated to um, speed wise. But if they're noting that the vehicle accelerated right before its crash, it 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 had a hard crash. So the airbags are deployed. There there should have been some type of personal injury to him that would have left some evidence in that vehicle of personal injury. So you're telling me. He speeds up, drives off a, 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 a cliff, tumbles down, ends up on his side, gets out of the vehicle. Well, takes his shoes off, leave one shoe up under the, the driver's seat, the other one MIA. Then gets out of the vehicle, crawls out of the vehicle because the vehicle was found. In our last picture, this is how the vehicle was found. So that means he would have had to crawl out of the driver's window Take all of his clothes off, scatter them about, leave his cell phone in the car. The most important thing that he would need to dial 911, call for help, call back to his ex-roommate, co-worker that's two miles down the road. Roger, come get me. I just had an accident. So you're telling me that he took all of his clothes off, scattered them all out throughout the desert, and just walked off. Doesn't make any sense. There's all types of cactuses. And let's talk about cactuses in Arizona. They're all different shapes and size. So you got baby cactuses. You got big ones. You got all types of insects, 
scorpions, uh, wildlife, and he's just going to take his boots off and walk barefoot through the desert. Yeah. And if this rancher that found his vehicle had property nearby, don't you think he would have wandered and saw that there was someone that could aid him in this situation? They're trying to paint a narrative that he was just mentally unstable and that he's committed suicide because that girl sent him a text telling him to leave me alone. They're also I mean, insinuating, um, and I, I hope I'm not jumping ahead of where you're going, but his co-worker also threw out there when, because what the father said is that when he showed up for work that day, he was tired because he had been. they were able to pull the Google data and that he had been doing Instacart the night before. And so he was probably tired and for whatever reason, it was something they were supposed to do and they couldn't do it that day because the weather, because of the weather or something. And yep. so Daniel was like, all right, well, let's shut it down and let's roll out. And the coworker was like, yeah, his pupils were dilated. I think he was high off of something. And I'm like, where are you even drawing this conclusion from? Like high off of what, when, where, and how, you know? So they're trying to create this narrative that he was on drugs and that he was high. And, you know, the father said, yeah, he smoked weed, right? He smoked weed. First of all, it's legal in Arizona. So he's not doing anything wrong. It's legal in Arizona. And they were trying to say, oh, he's smoking, you know, PCP laced. And they were like, there's no evidence of this. There's the, they, they didn't find any paraphernalia in his car. Like, there's no evidence. And so that's the other thing the father is fighting. And, it's, and it makes you wonder, why do you think that they're trying to create this narrative that this young man might have been up to something nefarious, that he might have killed himself. Like, why are we building this narrative instead of just doing our job and looking for this man, this young man? It's victim blaming. It's victim blaming. They do this shit. <clears throat> they do these type of things all the time. They do this all the time where they're trying to paint the victim in the worst light possible so you lose interest or so that you don't feel sorry for what happened to them or to paint the narrative that whatever happened to them is deserving because he was on drugs. Yes, the boy smoked weed. There ain't a college kid, ain't a person in Arizona. Them dispensaries are packed. They're on every corner. They're packed. Everybody smokes weed in Arizona. But they were trying to paint the narrative that it was laced with some other drug, PCP or something like that. Which, by the fact, even though the fact he smoked weed, there was no evidence, no bongs, no pipes, right? No, no, paraphernalia, paper, yeah. no roaches, none of that was found in the vehicle. So if he was high, he must have smoked it, threw it out the window, or whatever the case may be, before he crashed. He was tired from working his part-time job the night before, and he was ready to go home. Now, true enough, the roommate, the co-worker, did say that uh, Daniel did not see himself that day. When I'm tired, I'm not my no normal jovial self. You know, most of the time I'm quiet and I want to keep to myself. And, and you know, grumpy. I just want to get through the day. And grumpy. And sometimes grumpy. Um, not all the time. Um, just a little All the times grumpy. Never grumpy. Um, but that that doesn't strike me as odd. Because if he had worked the night before and he's tired, he's just ready to get through the day. Uh, if the coworker was so concerned about his behavior, this is my this is your friend, 
and I have an issue with cases that involve friends and their reaction to them after the fact saying, oh, yeah, something was odd about, about him that day. He didn't do this. He didn't do. If you knew that this was not your friend's normal response and behavior, you just let him wander off and you had the opportunity to get up and follow him. And said, let me go check on Daniel and see what's going on. Because something ain't right. Something ain't hidden right. You there's the cell phone records didn't indicate that you try to call him. You didn't try to notify anybody else that you know something was odd about him. You went on about your day like everything was normal. But after the fact, when you're talking to the father, now all these things are things that you notice, but you didn't react to all these suspicions that you had. So somebody the roommate don't make me feel right either. Um, and I'm not going to say that the boy didn't have things going on. I'm not going to say that the boy wasn't questioning things in his spiritual life and he wasn't questioning things. Um, he seemed to be happy with his career. So I don't think there was issues with the job. I don't think that this relationship had developed for further enough for him to be head over heels in love with this girl and disappointed because she texted him and told him, leave me alone per her account. We don't know what his side of the story is because that's unavailable to us. But conveniently, it's it's available to us to know that she didn't want his attention anymore. But you let this man lay up in the house with you. Which the father had even said to him that, you know, he didn't feel comfortable about that. Like, you know, you don't know anything about this chick. You don't know right. if she has a boyfriend, a husband, or anything like that. Like, you just met this chick. You probably should be staying the night over here. So, you know, something wasn't really kosher about that. But, you know, the family, I'm just, I feel so bad for the family that this man has had to put his life on hold. And other members of the family have had to put their life on hold just to get the information that we've got in this case. And the police department are not coming up with any new developments whatsoever in this case. What do you think happened to him? Oh, man. I I don't know who did it, but I definitely feel like he came to some sort of harm. Um, an extreme... Uh, an extreme theory is that this young lady complained to maybe a male friend or maybe another boy, maybe a boyfriend or something about this weird guy is bothering me. You know, he came over and he won't leave me alone. Like we know people know how to exaggerate stuff when they want a response. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe he was followed that day. Maybe there was a setup like meet me at such and such. And he thought he was going to meet her. And when he got there, it was somebody else. Um, I don't know where the roommate comes into play, but it could be feasible that the roommate set him up as well. Why? I don't know. I wouldn't have a theory for that, but the, the theory for the girlfriend would just be, oh, this, this dude is bothering me and I want him to leave me alone. And, you know, again, I, I hate to say it like this, but as women, we know how to say things to get a reaction. Um, sometimes, though, the problem is you put things in motion that you can't always control. Or undo. Or definitely or undo. So I definitely feel like there was some foul play. Unfortunately, I, I feel like... Um, his body is somewhere, maybe in that desert buried at this point. Um, I don't think that somebody's just keeping him somewhere. You know what I'm saying? I think that, that the car situation was staged after the fact. 
I agree. I don't think he crashed the car himself. I don't think he was in the car when it crashed. I think that that was a setup. The clothes being uh, yeah, I think about, all that. All that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Okay, so in my research, I've also discovered that this area, and it's been confirmed by uh, David's investigators as well as the Buckeye Police Department, it is confirmed to be a highly populated area for cartel activity. It said that a lot of the drug cartel uh, drops a lot of their drugs here in this spot, in this area, very close to where Daniel's vehicle was found. Um, it It's theorized that he may have came in contact with uh, a, a drug delivery and was dealt with. Which mm-hmm. would explain if they are doing airdrops and dropping drugs off, and someone was someone discovered that he was in the area because he could have been here in this area for work purposes. And this is a witness to what just happened. He is now taken, restrained, possibly even murdered right there in the scene. I don't feel like he was possibly murdered there. Because there would have been some type of evidence left behind of a struggle, you know, uh, a murder occurring or whatever. So uh, I tend to think that he was possibly restrained, taken aboard whatever aircraft that was dropping and delivering these drugs and later dumped somewhere else out in the aircraft, you know, maybe even taken out of Arizona. Um, I think that the reason why his clothes and everything was taken from him was because we wanted to stage a missing person. And, you know, people don't investigate hard for missing person cases as they do for homicide. And especially, but, well, no, I just, I, well, I'm not going to say I disagree. They don't search hard for missing people of color. Because had that been a young white girl that came up missing from work, it would have been all over the TV. And people Other still be out there walking. Else would have been forward. out there. Yep. And it's important to note that the family are arranging these search parties on their own. They're taking up volunteers. They're going out into the desert every week. Yeah. Looking for him. And you know the authorities they do they want two little searches and they're done. Oh, we didn't find anything. But the vehicle is two miles from his 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 job. Two and they miles. also um also during one of these searches after the fact they also found a um a skull. Now they determined that the skull was not Daniel, but the point is if you search, this is the same area that y'all said y'all already searched. How come y'all didn't find the skull? Well, there's several different human remains that they have found in there and have uh, actually been able to give other families who were searching for missing loved ones closure. Now, they haven't said what the cause of death was for these these uh, body parts that or these bones and skulls that they found in this area. So they don't know if homicide, they don't know if someone died from exposure or if someone succumbed to the elements out there and just died of natural causes. It's undetermined, the cause of death, but they have found remains, human remains, in this yeah. same area. But they have been confirmed not to be Daniel's remains, which brings me back to that whole theory about this drug cartel. It could be possible that murders have been taking place there previously. I don't know. Yeah. You know, um, I, and I, a couple of people in the chat, uh, Juggernaut and um, 
Xavier and uh, Retro was saying that maybe, um, you know, the, we can't rule out, and you said it too, actually, you can't rule out the wild animal element of this. But again, I feel like because, so, and I could be wrong, I could be wrong because I don't know a whole lot about the, the habits of the wild. But I feel like if any of those things happened, wouldn't there have been some sort of trace evidence, some blood, some, I hate to say it, but some body parts or something, the clothes would have been shredded. They wouldn't have just been like neatly thrown around. Like, I feel like there would have been something that would have indicated that he, uh, that a wild animal, I mean, a snake bite, the body would have still been there. Like a snake doesn't drag a body. You know what I mean? So I don't know. I I just feel and like doesn't eat every uh, doesn't swallow a whole body whole. I mean, if it was an alligator, if it was a bayou in a swamp, I could say that very easily. But I just think right. that uh, if that was the case, you would have found his remains, partial remains. Yeah. You know, scattered about. Um, you know, there would have been some type of DNA left behind. It, it still doesn't explain how he got out of his clothes, even if the animal scenario is the case. It doesn't explain how he got disrobed. Right. It doesn't saying, explain like, what happened to the other boot that's missing. Right, and his and and again, his cell phone would have been in his pocket. Like they just still, it's, it doesn't. The, the the wild animal theory doesn't really sort of jive when you think about how everything. The fact that there's still nothing there. There's no trace evidence. There's no blood. There's no nothing. I, I just, I it just burns me up about you know cases like this that don't get the attention they don't they get very little resources uh yeah. allocated for them whatsoever and from an investigative standpoint it's always well they disappeared on their own accord well whether they disappeared on their own accord or not the family is still entitled to know what happened to this person so you know you may not be interested in what happened to them because you feel like they went away on their own but if a person if there would have been activity on his credit cards, if there would have been uh, none of his personal possessions, wallet, keys, uh, why would a person leave all that behind? You know. But let me ask this question, and and I'm, I'm this is the this is a rhetorical question because me and you are on the same page when it comes to this. But why, when it comes to us, why is it always the assumption? Oh, we voluntarily left. Why is that the assumption? But when it comes to, you know, I'm just going to call it what it is. When it comes to white people, it always has to be, oh, my gosh, we have to find them something. They were taken against their will. Yeah. How come when it's a black woman, oh, I'm just a runaway, or I just need some time alone, and I'm grown, and I don't have to tell my family where I am. Even when my family says to you, wait, because like the father said, whoa, we don't go more than nine hours without talking to each other in some fashion, whether it's a text, whether it's a phone call, something. And it's not a check-in. It's just that is our family dynamic. So when I'm telling the police, listen, this is not normal. This is not what my son does. Why is the assumption when it comes to people of color always, oh, they just ran away. Oh, they just don't want to talk to you. Oh, well, they're grown and they don't have to respond. When Gabby Petito came up, quote unquote, missing, and we did find out later on what happened to her, unfortunately. But why was she was off with her boyfriend? Why was the assumption, oh my goodness, she hasn't checked in. Her family hasn't heard from her. And don't get me wrong, the police response was the right response. But why don't we get that same response? You know because why? they listened to her family. They listened to her parents that said, wait a minute, 
this isn't like our, our child. Our child would have checked in. Our child would have been on her YouTube. Our child would have done something by now. You know what I mean? That's the frustration. But you know why? Because it goes back to what I was trying to say earlier about the victim blaming. Because they're going to try to find something in our personal life that will lead to us running off. Oh, he was troubled. Oh, he had a mental breakdown. Oh, he was on drugs. This was an honor student. This was a boy that loved life and loved the people in his life. He loved his family. He had uh, a close relationship with his family. His father and sisters, they were planning to have a get-together, a reunion type yeah, thing. Yeah, the father was supposed to be coming out in to July. Arizona later on, like the next month. Yep. In July. Yep. So again, this isn't... <sighs> It just, it just, I mean, I'm, you know, it's just frustrating and I'm with you, you know, whatever little bit we can do. I mean, we're not the biggest YouTubers. We don't have the largest, you know, audience, but whatever we can do to bring some attention, like there are people in the chat right now that never even heard of this story. So whatever little bit of, of just of information we can get out of there. And if anybody, like, like Chris said, if anybody sees anything or heard anything or think, you know, anything, you know, the information we dropped the, um, or if you want to just help this family out, we dropped the GoFundMe. It's valid. It's a legit GoFundMe. It's not, you know, nothing crazy. But the father, you know, he packed up his whole life and he literally has moved to Arizona right now to try to find his son. He's hired He's hired his own, you know, private investigator. He's paying out of his pocket for searches and resources and paying for, you know, forensic tests and all these different things. So if you, you know, in any way, shape or form want to contribute to that, that's out there as well. But it's just frustrating. I do think that there was some foul play. I don't know what, who, when, where, or how. I mean, you know, there are a couple of possibilities. Even the cartel piece, I didn't even think of that. Um, but that's still a possibility, you know? So. There's also a tip line that we dropped in the description as well. So if anyone sees anything, anyone has any information, and sometimes we see Ooh. things and we don't feel like they... Uh, they matter, you know, every little bit helps, you know, the father had and the family have been combing through his cell phone records. They've checked the geofencing on the cell phone records. So they've, they've, they've pretty much been able to get an understanding of his movements prior to him going missing. Everyone who's communicated with him day of day before the week of, no one uh, felt like he was in any type of distress or distress, uh, you know, and I felt like if he was having that type of mid, uh, life crisis that was happening to him, he would have reached out to his father. Right. His father had, and him had a very close relationship. And they talked yeah. about everything from girls yeah. to life to anything that was important in his life. He talked about it with his father. Hell, his father knew that he was smoking weed. I was going to say the exact same thing. So I was going to say the exact same thing. Live a life that his family wasn't a part of, that people that was close in his life wasn't a part of. Hell, y'all, y'all know my lifestyle. Y'all know my movements. Y'all know when something is wrong with me. Y'all know if two or three days go by, y'all hadn't heard from me. Y'all going to come calling and looking, texting, or whatever the case may be. So you can't sit here and tell me that this person. Who has a very close no, relationship? Not gonna with get a wing. Yeah, he, <laughs> he gonna, yeah. I feel like he got geofences though because he gonna know where I'm at. He know what I'm yeah. out of town and everything. He's like, I heard from you. You out of town, aren't you? I'm like, yeah, I am. <laughs> um, I, I just that narrative that's being painted. It just, it just, I piss on that because I feel like 
his twin sister, I mean, and, and having a sibling, that's a close relationship. Having a twin, having a, a, a sibling that you're that close to, you, you can't tell me that your deepest, darkest moments, you wouldn't share that with them first. And if it's over this chick, if he already reached out to his family and all his family knew about the girl and knew about how he met and he spent the night over there, he they would have known also if things were going south. He would not have he would not have kept that information from the family. He would have opened up to the family for comfort at least. So I don't think that this this relationship was strong enough, deep enough, any of that for this boy to go out here and commit suicide and dispose of his own body. I mean, he just fell into a black hole naked. And, and a person who's naked that's walking around, anybody that would have saw that would have remembered that and say, okay, this person is in some type of trouble or distress. Ain't nobody walking the streets naked and and nobody, and that ain't going to be noticed by someone. Right. And again, I know, you know, I know that there's no, there's no playbook for this and there's no rhyme or reason for this, but if he were feeling that suicidal and low, would he have gotten up, got dressed, gone to work with the intention of working a full day I mean, the reason why they didn't work a full day is because, again, there was something with the weather or something that precluded them from being able to do what they needed to do that day. Like, it sounds to me like he got up with the intention of doing what he had to do that day. So the fact that he never made it out of that desert is very interesting. So either I feel like either somebody was following him or he was set up. He got a phone call saying, hey, meet me at yada, yada, yada. And then there was something there. That's something that happened. And again, I my money is on either the girl being involved or maybe the roommate. I just wouldn't know what the motive would be with the ex-roommate. But the fact that they were right there together in such close proximity and he was given this description like, oh, he was high on drugs and his pupils weren't dilated. Like, who looks at somebody's pupils? Like, I don't. Yeah. And the thing about it is, though, but you also explain that away in the same in the same comments by saying oh he said he was tired from working the night before okay again who after working the previous night before wakes up and says you know i'm gonna kill myself today but let me go ahead and get up and go to work let me go ahead and get up and go see roger if 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 a person wants to if if a person is that low and that at that point they've come to that decision Typically, they don't want to see anyone or be around anyone that they're remotely close to, friends with or anything like that, in hopes that they wouldn't persuade them from wanting to go through with the act. You know what I mean? Tell me, if this boy was this low, that you wouldn't have seen, he wouldn't have mentioned, his behavior wouldn't concern you enough to say, something wrong with you. Let's sit down and talk about this. He walked in. Oh, his pupils wasn't dilated. He he's tired. Probably didn't get enough sleep. You know, it's it's just that you know, I don't know where we're at in the investigation on this case. There's not much uh, new developments that are being released, other than the father. Uh, the father is uh, on social media uh, constantly. He's on different podcasts and interviews and things. He's very vocal about his findings and his concerns and the discrepancies he's found. And he's found a lot of discrepancies that he's trying to get answers for. But of course, when uh, there's discrepancies in the case, they, 
there's there's a no comment. There's a no comment to discrepancies, but poor investigation, inact, inexperience, whatever you want to call it. I think uh, if the Buckeye Police Department would have taken their concerns and the fact that you have a parent that's calling from out of state that's sitting here telling you that I'm used to talking to my child on a daily basis or on the hour type situation that's calling all the way from Columbia, South Carolina, telling you that I think something is wrong. At the very least, you could have performed a welfare check by going to the job and going out there to where his work site was and just making sure that everything was on the um on the up and up there was no signs of anything uh anything odd in his apartment that they found again if this he was so high and on drugs a person's home is what you're going to learn about every one of their vices when you go into a person's home especially a person who just ups and disappears doesn't have time or doesn't consider forefront let me just get rid of this let me get rid of all my drugs or whatever everything was normal in his apartment where are the drugs that, that he did? Right, right. Because best believe, because that's the narrative that the police want to paint, best believe if they found a cache of drugs and other, especially if it was something more than weed, they would have definitely, that would have been a front page headline. He'd have been all sorts of weed heads, I mean, um, crack heads and everything else. Um, that's a good question, um, Xavier. I don't know. Do you know um retro if the the roommate hasn't uh, has obtained any type of legal counsel or an attorney i no, don't know he hasn't he hasn't yeah. he hasn't even been formally taken down for questioning none you know, of them have right mm -hmm. yeah nope. this sounds familiar right yeah and so it's very and, and honestly in listening to you just now it reminds me of another case we did when we were still doing um just the podcast we weren't doing the videos on youtube of the college student in Indi was it Indiana? Remember the college student, but they were um they were um a family, they were um from the Middle East or India or something like that. Oh no, we hadn't done that case, but I know which one you're talking about. We hadn't done I that, we case, did that case. Mm -mm, we didn't do that one yet. Oh my man, okay. Well then we I, we must have talked about it. Okay, yeah. we'll have to do that case now that I brought it up. But this is very similar to another case. I'll just give you just a brief because I don't remember the name. The young man's name, but he was a college student. He was at a party. Praveen. Praveen. Yeah. Okay. He came up missing, and the family was calling, saying, "Hey, this isn't like him. He normally we normally talk to him." And the again, the police weren't being cooperative, and so the family had to come to Indiana, Illinois. get a hotel room, and basically camp out and make the police do their job. And it's just unfortunate that. After he this had gotten in a fight do. with someone, and this person admitted that he was the last yeah. person oh, yeah, that, that called him and got in a fight with him and still wasn't taken down um, town and questioned, you know, and things like that. You know, I, I need DNA samples. I need, you know, pictures of your body to make sure that, you know, there's no bruises, there's no scratches, yeah. you know, there's I nothing you the whole fingernail. Yeah, we ain't gonna, we're not going to tell you the whole story because I feel like we need to do that story now. But I thought we had, honestly, we, it must have just been an offline conversation. Yeah, we, we talked about, about that it. case for a little while because yeah. there was so much um, that we found out and, about that one. And we, we'll do that case. I mean, fortunately, well, unfortunately for the family, well, fortunately and unfortunately, I should say, fortunately for the family that was closure, unfortunately, it wasn't what they probably wanted it to be. But it was very similar in the fact that the family had to basically pack they up camp out and get in the get in the authorities face and make them do their job and i just 
you know, I don't want to make it seem like, you know, because I know that police do, there's some great police that do great work, but it just seems like there's such a discrepancy when it comes to people of color, which is, you know, part of the reason why that's, those are the stories we tell here, but it's just such a discrepancy. And this story is not that old. So somebody, you know, like a lot of times we do stories that are old and people may not remember and stories get changed over time, but this story is not even a year old. Mm-mm. We're only, we're creeping up on a year now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's still a lot of fresh information if the police would do their job. And the crazy part about it is I was in Arizona in October. I was in Arizona of October 2021 and talking to people about this case. I would think like, well, dang, this should still be fresh on the news, especially when there were developments that came out in October about the whole text messaging and all this stuff. And I'm like, people are not, don't even know about this. So I but can tell you right now, it's probably about news five seconds and then going on to the weather report. Right. But we couldn't stop hearing about Gabby. I'm every two seconds, Gabby, 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 Gabby. And again, I don't want to take away from the fact that that family went through what that family went through, but it just shows the discrepancy. Well, it's, 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 and it's a bit of injustice as well. It's a bit Absolutely. of injustice because everyone, I don't care what color you are, what race, I don't care how horrible of a person you are. I don't care if you are a person uh, that is low in life. I don't care if it's a person that sold drugs. I don't care who you are. Everyone deserves justice. Mm-hmm. If something happened to them where someone has lost their life, Someone has lost a memory. Someone has just been taken away from a family. Everyone deserves closure. Everyone's family deserves to know what happened to their loved one. You may not care about this person, but this is someone that I love and care about, Mm -hmm. and it matters to me. So for that reason alone, I think emphasis, more emphasis, they need to work on these laws. They need to work on these uh, 72-hour laws, this bullshit that they always hit the family with, where we can't start looking for this person. Listen, if the family is so insistent on something is wrong, what harm are you going to do? You're not going to arrest this person if you find them. So all you're going to do is confirm that, hey, this person is safe and sound. They don't want to be bothered right now. Move on with life. But what harm is it going to do for you to at least do a welfare check? At least do a welfare check. At least take a police report. At least put a unit out, an APB out, and say, hey, if you see this guy, he's missing one hand, please alert us. The family is looking for them. He may have hit his head. He may have amnesia. What Sometimes a person could disappear and not necessarily, they can be an adult. Yeah, that's fine. But it may not necessarily be of their own decision making. It could be something that happened that where they're impaired in making good rational decisions for themselves, it ain't going to do no harm to go look for someone that's lost. This is like, I lose my wallet. Oh, I lost my wallet. No big deal. I'll just move on. You're going to find things that are important to you. You're going to look for things that are important to you right then and there. You're not going to wait for an extended period of time right. to look and that's what that's important to you right and that's what and and um juggernaut if you're still in the chat you'll know what i'm talking about well retro youtube but that's why and I, I and and i'm not to get too offline but that is that's the point i was making to you sir yeah. when you travel it's not about checking in yes you are grown nobody is trying to make you check in but when you're traveling god forbid something happens 
we could at least say, hey, the last time we talked to him, he was at such and such a place doing such and such. He said he was on his way to the airport. He said he had a layover in, in Arizona. Like, whatever the situation is, it's not. And the thing is, that is what, in these both of these stories, this story and the story that I was just referencing, the family knew immediately something is wrong because this is the normal behavior and I would have known. I'm grown, grown. I'm older than you grown. And when I travel, I always let my parents know I've landed. I'm where I'm supposed to be. You know, like when I went to New York a few weeks ago, I, I, when I landed, I, I text my parents that I'm, I'm, you know, I'm at JFK getting ready to get in the cab. Now, I ain't saying that I checked in with them every move I made in New York, but they knew I was in New York. They knew I made it to New York. You know what I'm saying? So God forbid I got missing in the cab. My parents could say, listen, she landed at such and such time. She said she was getting a cab, right? It gives them, it gives people somewhere to start. And I think a lot of people, you know, that is, it's just important. It's just, it's, it's, especially when you're, when you are single, you it's know, important because you don't have that constant everyday connection when you live by yourself and you're single. You know what I'm saying? You know, I'm going to say something because this, this element right here, this element right here is present in every single case that we have covered now i know that we haven't covered a lot uh out here however we have talked about a lot and we've looked at a lot and we have a, a laundry list of cases that we want to cover but the most common denominator in all these cases is this narrative right here and the thing that just that just bothers me so much about that is it almost sends an invitation for anyone that is doing something that wants to commit a crime, that wants to commit a murder, that wants to kidnap someone to just, you're giving them an open invitation to do it because the reaction is the same. Every time the reaction is standard across the board. Oh, we're not going to look for them. Oh, we're not going to put that much resources into it. So for a person out here that wants to commit a crime like this, there's no fear of getting caught. There is no fear whatsoever of them ever being found out because we know that the case is going to be poorly investigated. We know that they're going to look for them for about a week or two, two weeks, or start looking for them two weeks later. And by that time, I've gotten rid of evidence. I've, I've skipped town or whatever the case may be. So criminals, murderers, and people who are doing these type of things are, are, are walking the earth scot-free because they never get caught. I mean, there are so many cold cases out here that remain cold that are solved years later with DNA and other things that come to light that had you put emphasis on this initially when you first started investigating the case, you would have had your, your mystery solved. I mean, we've got cases that are being solved through genealogy. So, you know, if you put just a little bit more resource and efforts into properly investigating these cases, you'll solve them. But if I'm a criminal and I know that law enforcement worldwide ain't, ain't going to put too much emphasis on a person of color, hell, yeah, I'm going to kill them. Yeah, I'm going to kidnap them. Because all you're doing is giving them an invitation to say, well, they're not going to care. Yeah. And it's so, to look at that. Yeah. So if y'all know anything or you want, like I said, thank you, um, Retro, for dropping the information in the chat. He dropped the um, phone number to call if you have any information. He dropped the um, 
the um GoFundMe information and everything is also in the description box. If you're catching this on the replay, it's all in the description box as well. Um, anything you want to add to it? Nah, it's just that uh, we just all need to get together and focus on these cases and bring some awareness to it. Um, so we're getting our uh, roster together for other cases that we're going to uh, cover. And uh, hopefully we'll be back next Friday with a new case or uh, not necessarily a new case, but another case for us to talk about. Again, if anyone has any information in regards, please hit that tip line. Please notify the family and let's try to see, can we get some answers? Uh, thank you for uh, watching this. Please like, comment, and most importantly, even if you don't like and comment, share the video. Just share the video and let's get the word out. And let's get it around so we can help this family get some closure. Um, I guess that's it. Good night. Good night. We'll see y'all next time. You are now listening to TSF Entertainment Podcast.